Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, you're listening to a public affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is David Ahrens, and I'm hosting today's episode. Today we're talking with Dave Chislevich, former mayor of Madison. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or reach out to A Public Affair on Facebook. For those of you who are new to Madison or have really severe memory loss, Dave Chislevich, or Mayor Dave, was the mayor of Madison from 2003 to 2011. He is with us today to discuss his new book, Light Blue. Just a few words about Dave first. Prior to his election, Mayor Dave was the state director of the environmental organization A Thousand Friends of Wisconsin and is a lobbyist for the Nature Conservancy. Among the high points of his mayoralty, uh, Madison instituted its first municipal minimum wage. This was, we were only the fourth city in the country with its own minimum standard. But in 2008, the minimum wage, the Wisconsin minimum wage rose to 650, but prohibited minimum wage laws at the municipal level. During his tenure, the city introduced new automated recycling and refuse collection, instituted a comprehensive city planning process, and opened the city's first municipal swimming pool. Notably, Mayor Dave implemented a citywide smoking ban that prohibited smoking in any public place, including bars. This was the first of its kind in the state and led to a statewide ban a few years later. After his two terms as mayor, Dave served as the executive director of the Wisconsin Bicycle Federation and as a member of the adjunct faculty in urban planning at UW. So, welcome, Dave. Uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Uh, did I miss anything? <laughs> uh, you know, I've forgotten about half of those things. Okay. <laughs> it, made me, it made me sound better than I, I thought I did. So oh, yeah. You. Yeah, there's, there's quite a... Uh, I um, got all of that off of Wikipedia, and that was really just a small edited version of it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So, well, yeah there's you. there's a lot more there. Um, uh, there, yeah, and some stuff that maybe wasn't so good, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. highlighting the good things. <laughs> it's it's edited. Um, let's talk ah, about good. your book. It's called yeah. again uh, "Blue Light." Um, the book is um, is it's largely a compilation of your blog, uh, "Yellow Dogs and Dead Arm." Is it called "Yellow Dogs and Dead Armadillos" or is it no, just ye- yellow yellow stripes? Like yellow, yellow stripes, okay, and dead armadillos, uh, and and parts of your columns in Isthmus. Um, its subtitle notes how a center left moderate or moderates can build an enduring democratic majority. Um, on the right out front, right on page one, you lay out what you term, quote, the argument. Um, 
Uh, could you summarize what the five main points of that are? Or sure, sure, yeah, sure, happy to do it. Yeah. So yeah, um, so you know, my first my first point is that, and I don't think many of our listeners are going to disagree with this. Um, the Republican Party is is just gone. It's essentially become the fascist party of America. I mean, it doesn't, and I don't I don't make that charge lightly. Um, it does, in fact, uh, meet the definition of of fascism. It's totally devoted to one man. Uh, it's no longer a party of ideas. You know, the, the, the Republicans didn't even bother to have um, a platform at their last convention. They essentially said, whatever Trump is for, we're for. Whatever he's against, we're against. So it's become a party devoted to one man as opposed to a set of ideas. Um, it clearly uh, appeals to a particular ethnic group, in this case, white nationalism. Um, and it doesn't have any respect for the rule of law uh, or for democratic elections. You see that in Trump continuing after two years to try to undermine elections. You see that in the, the bogus uh, Gableman so-called investigation and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So I think you make a pretty strong case that the Republicans are just gone as a credible alternative. Um, that means that Democrats have to win. You know, it always used to be important that Democrats won. Now it's vital. Now it's it's a question of survival, frankly, of American democracy. Um, which leads to the third point, which is how do they win? And my argument is that they're not doing very well. That the Democratic strategy for the last decade or more has been to run up the vote in Democratic strongholds. So you get these overwhelming numbers in places like Madison and, and big metro areas. We're, we're winning in, in big cities and college towns. And that's fine. You can sometimes win statewide that way. Tony Evers won, but just barely by 30,000 votes. Joe Biden won, uh, but just barely by 20,000 votes. But the real problem is, even if you can squeak out some of those statewide elections, you can never take back the legislature. And the reason is that over time, uh, Democrats really have sort of settled themselves into these deep blue enclaves. You know, in, in my ward on the west side of Madison, I think Biden got something like 85 percent of the vote. And I don't know where those 15 percent uh, Trump voters are. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether they're hiding in closets or what. I don't see They that. don't have but, lawn signs. Yeah, they don't have lawn signs. <laughs> so, um, so what's happened is, the way we settle ourselves in the landscape, it's really easy uh, for Republicans to gerrymander the state. And even if you wanted uh, to have competitive districts, it would be difficult to do it. Um, I point in the book to Governor Evers' Fair Maps Commission. They actually tried to create competitive districts. And you know what? Uh, Their product, uh, their maps, projected that Republicans would still have a 55 to 44 uh, seat edge in the assembly compared to 61, 38 now. So it improved things a bit. But even when you try to create fair maps, you still wind up with a Republican advantage. And the reason for that is that we've simply settled ourselves in a landscape in these deep blue pockets, which are very difficult to, um, uh, it makes it very difficult to draw competitive districts. So that leads me to my next argument, which is Democrats simply have to do better geographically. We have to do better in small towns and suburbs and rural Wisconsin, where we actually used to win 20, 30 years ago. And we've got to find ways to do that again. 
And that leads to an argument that you know, some of your listeners may not uh, find so appealing, which is I think we simply need to become more moderate uh, in tone, uh, at least, and in message, if not necessarily in policy. And I, and I really like uh, Bill Clinton's formulation of whatever that was 30 years ago, um, that if you work hard and play by the rules, you can get ahead in America. I think you can, I think you can tuck a lot of progressive policy behind that statement, but what's good about it is it appeals to everybody. It doesn't try to parse the electorate into pieces, and that's, I think, another mistake Democrats have made. Rather than trying to make the appeal to broad values that just about everybody shares, the way Barack Obama did for two successful elections, you know, you could pack a lot of policy into that idea of hope. Instead, what we've done is try to parse up the electorate. So we're going to go for women, then we're going to go for African Americans, then we're going to go for Hispanics. And what we lose in the translation is an overall message, overall message that appeals to everybody. As a result, we lose uh, seats that I think we have a chance of winning, and as a result, we have very little chance of ever taking back the state legislature. So, you know, and I'll wrap up here in a second, mm-hmm. but, you know, a guy like Governor Evers can do some good work playing goalie. He can stop a lot of bad stuff, but he can virtually accomplish nothing positive if he can't get the legislature back. Right. Now, you're right uh, to get to the sort of uh, really the nub of, of many of the central issues in the book. Uh, you write that, quote, identity politics is the central impediment to a long-term center-left majority. Why Why is that? I mean, and I think you covered some of, you know, why you believe that's yeah. important, but uh, what does that mean uh, practically in terms of both message and in, and in terms of policy strategy? Sure. Well, you know, the Democratic Party used to be the blue-collar party, the working-class party, and we're becoming uh, the party of college-educated, relatively affluent people who live in cities. Um, the problem with that is the numbers just don't work. Uh, only a third of adult Americans have a four-year degree. Two-thirds of us don't have that. And so if you're going to be a party that appeals to just college graduates, uh, you're behind the eight ball for, for starters. Um, well, why do you think issues, identity politics only appeals to college gradu- graduates? Wouldn't it appeal if it's um, uh, appeal to African-Americans, appeal to uh, any uh, identi- self-identified group that uh, has a social uh, grievance? Yeah. You'd think it would, uh, but the evidence is that it doesn't. And, and some of the polling and, and numbers I, I uh, use in the book uh, indicate that. So, for example, uh, the Democrats are hemorrhaging Hispanic voters, um, and and that's for a variety of reasons. And part of it is the, the Democratic Party has viewed the Hispanic vote as this monolith, when in fact it's mm-hmm. far more nuanced and complicated than that. So, you know, we were counting on a rapidly growing Hispanic vote to sort of carry us in this uh, in this demographic wave to this long-term majority, and that's not happening. We're actually losing. Hispanic votes. Believe it or not, uh, Donald Trump got more uh, black male votes 
in 2020 than he got in 2016. Even after all of the overt racism, even after all the ridiculous policies of the Trump administration, he ended up getting more black male votes four years later than he got in 2016. So clearly, uh, you know, the image of the Democratic Party as sort of, as I said, parsing up the vote and trying to appeal to people based on their race or their gender or some other issue uh, in terms of their identity just isn't working. Um, and that's why I think the party needs a message that sort of shoots above people's heads that, 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 you know, like the Obama message, uh, of optimism, of emphasizing the future, basically of, of trying to tap into values that virtually everybody has, as opposed to trying to appeal to people on a particular issue or a particular grievance. But the, the Republicans, have made white identity consciousness. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, with the notion that whites are unfairly treated and they're subject to discrimination. So yeah. on. do you think that identity politics, their form of identity politics, is an impediment to their long-term success? It has, you know, <laughs> you, you raise uh, a, a crucial point. Um Absolutely. I mean, the, the Republicans practice identity politics uh, more than Democrats do, and they practice it in a way that's quite obnoxious. Um, but uh, they do seem to be more successful with it. And I think it goes back to my original argument, the, the simple argument of geography, because Republicans spread themselves out on landscape. I mean, you can look at any electoral uh, election map on, on, on election night and see the problem. You see these wide swaths of red and then these these tiny intense uh, pockets of blue um the problem with that is that it sets republicans up to be more successful in more legislative districts and that in turn uh gives them an advantage in the house and in congress because legislatures as we know all too well in Wisconsin, redraw maps every 10 years. And if you control more state legislatures, you can control more of those map drawings and uh, create more districts that uh, that tend Republican, even if overall uh, the population is, is more liberal. In Wisconsin, you know, we're just about a 50-50 state. If you look at any election, um, it comes down to a few percentage points one way or another. And yet Republicans control 61 out of 38 assembly seats. I think they control something like, what, 21 out of 33 mm-hmm. state senate, senate seats. You know, that's, not cause, that's not because the legislature is reflecting where Wisconsinites are at. It's because the Republicans get to draw the districts, and they get to draw the districts because of the way voters are spread out on the landscape. Let me just uh, interrupt here for a second, just to remind or tell listeners that uh, you are listening to A Public Affair on WORT. My name is David Ahrens, and I'm hosting today's program. Today we're talking about uh, a, a different kind of agenda for the Democratic Party with Dave Chislevich, former mayor of Madison. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608 608- 256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or reach out to A Public Affair on Facebook. Um, uh, I have, uh, we have one 
one comment uh, on uh, Facebook here. It says, um, uh, Mark on Facebook says, if Dave was right, Hillary Clinton would have beat Trump. And it was Democratic Governor Jim Doyle who supported not allowing cities to have a higher minimum wage. What do you say to that? Uh, well, to the second one, I think uh, I think Mark is right. Unfortunately, um, what happened there was we we pushed for a higher minimum wage in the city of Madison, um, and uh, the legislature, unfortunately, um, with the support of the governor, um, decided that cities shouldn't have that authority. Now, the 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 good thing is that we essentially leveraged a higher minimum wage because they took away our authority to do it, but then adopted that higher wage. Um, in the long run, I think that was the wrong thing to do. I believe in local control. Um, if Madison wants to have a $15 an hour minimum wage, we ought to be able to do it. Um, mm -hmm. So I strongly disagreed with, with Governor Doyle uh, and the legislature on that, but it happened. Same thing happened with the smoking ban. But I think what the good things that came out of it were that Madison did leverage those things, um, even if we uh, lost the authority to do it in the long run. Um, not sure I understand Mark's argument about Hillary Clinton. I, I don't know why she would have won if my arguments were correct. But yeah. Maybe we can get more clarification yeah. on that. Um, now, trying to, to boil down your the sort of the thesis of the book here um, is it that what you're what you're what you're hoping for calling for is in essence uh, what used to be called you know a united front against fascism really where <laughs> where all up uh, all the you know central left to what you call hard left uh, 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 groups and parts of a coalition coalesce together with a single unitary purpose, which is to head off this crypto-fascist government. Is that... Yeah, um, I think you put it pretty well, David. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that <clears throat> we've come to this, but I, I just can't look... You know, I used to have some respect uh, for Republicans. I might have disagreed with them, um, but I actually didn't think it was a bad thing uh, to have a party that... To have an opposition? You, know, the, you tolerated uh, yeah, it up. <laughs> sure, a loyal opposition. No, I mean, yeah, government isn't always right, and, mm. and, and so it was good to have a party that pushed back uh, against uh, bigger government, even if I'm generally, you know, for uh, the good things government can do. Uh, I didn't think it was a bad idea to to have a party that talked about personal freedom and personal responsibility, even if, you know, I was a little bit more communitarian in my point of view. So, you know, I, I may not have ever voted for a Republican, but there were Republicans I respected, John McCain. I mean, my gosh, the guy uh, spent five years in a, in a, in a, in a Vietnamese prison. I, so, but now the party, and, the, and there still are some. I mean, Liz Cheney is a person I, I have to respect. Adam Kinsner, right? But, uh, Mitt but Romney the, the, the but, point but over, the point ahead. here is just like, um, is that if if people are part of a coalition, then it doesn't mean necessarily that the part the the part of the coalition that dictates uh, the agenda is the most 
right wing or the most majority of it. I mean, uh, you know, my sense is that, you know, environmental voters would have to jettison the issues most strongly related to climate change and anti-fossil fuel measures. Uh, black voters would have to pull back on on addressing social and racial justice. What, what, why does everybody give up their piece of it in order to be part of this you know, coalition, a well, united front? Yeah, yeah well, first first uh, point I'd make is I don't think you necessarily have to give up your piece of it, but, but it really comes down to do you, do you want to talk about these things or do you want to do something about them? And I, I think most of us would agree that we're better off under Governor Evers than we were under uh, Governor um, Walker. Uh, we'd be better off if we had a Democratic state legislature rather than a Republican one. Gotcha. With Joe Biden, and we would be with Donald Trump. I go right down the line. So, my point is to be intensely practical. I think, I think, in response to Trump, liberals and Democrats went two ways. Some of us became so angry that we essentially went even further uh, to the to the left. And a few of us, I think, uh, fewer of us, uh, did what I did. We became intensely practical. So, I just want to win elections. And you're right, I am willing to compromise on some things. I'm, you know, I'm an environmentalist. I spent a career in the environmental mm-hmm. community. Uh, I think that climate change is an existential threat. But we're not making enough progress on climate change. And the only way to do that is to sustain Democratic majorities. So paradoxically, uh, and I've mm-hmm. got several essays in the book, I, you know, I stick up for Joe Manchin, of all people. I got even that. Though I it was uh, eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, well, even though I disagree with Manchin on a lot of stuff, look, if, if it wasn't for Joe Manchin, we wouldn't even be discussing this, these issues. Donald Trump won West Virginia by 39 points, and yet somehow Manchin wins there. Now, Bernie Sanders is never going to win in West Virginia. So my point is uh, we need to find ways to get folks elected in places where Democrats don't normally win yeah. so that we can have a majority, so we can get at least, you know, 50 percent uh, of, of the pie, because if we don't, we're not going to get anything. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Thomas is on the line. Uh, Thomas, are you there? Yeah. Uh, uh, my question was, uh, with the uh, local election uh, places now being run by Republicans. In fact, Republicans have said that they want more uh, places run by Republicans, especially in the outer districts, not the big cities. My question is, when you say how we're going to win this election, we have to be more moderate. Well, it seems to me we've gone down that place years and years and it doesn't end up getting us anything. And I would say we have to be more progressive. Uh, we're not going to uh, win against Donald Trump by trying to say he, he's lying because everybody knows he's lying, and those who believe him will never believe that he lies. So I'll just hang up and listen, and thank you for the program. Thanks, Thomas. Sure. Well, thanks, Thomas. I, I guess a couple points there. Thomas's first point was about... Um, control the elections, and that's a very good point. Um, the Republican strategy has morphed into this thing where 
they're essentially trying to politicize future elections. So you see it at the at the state level. All of the Republican candidates for governor are now talking about dismantling the Wisconsin Elections Commission and essentially putting the, um, the, the administration of elections either in the hands of the Secretary of State, which they hope will be a Republican, uh, or directly in the hands of the legislature. So what could happen is not only in Wisconsin, but in other states where they're trying to do this, what could happen is you could have another very close election in 2024, um, and the legislature or the Republican Secretary of State, if that comes to be, uh, decides that, you know, 50,000 votes in, say, Milwaukee, Madison, and Green Bay uh, were tainted for some reason, and guess what? Uh, the Republican wins. That is a real possibility, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm saying it's so important that Democrats just win elections. Even even conservatives, Democrats like Joe Manchin, win elections. Um, as for uh, Thomas's second point, I, I, I think we have been um, – emphasizing progressive votes. That's why you see these huge numbers that we're getting out of Dane County, not just turnout, but but percentages, uh, and in Milwaukee and in a few other places. And that's not working. And I and it's not working because, as I pointed out uh, earlier in the conversation, um, you can't win. You can sometimes win statewide that way. You can't win legislatures that way simply because you can't win enough ge- geographic districts on the landscape. Yes. Now, one of the, um, I think, uh, perhaps was particularly, <coughs> excuse me, poignant to, to me, um, is um, not just how Democrats um, message, but um, uh, sort of the, the tone or the the feeling of it. And you're right, we cannot, quote, educate our fellow citizens. We can only talk to them as equals and see if we can find a connection. Um, right. And the meaning there is that it's, sort of the, it's implied that we have no connection now, or it's it's drained of meaning. We don't have a very good one. And I, I yeah, that's a, a point I make a lot in my writing. Um, and look, you know, <laughs> Um, some of my best friends are liberals. Uh, actually, all of my best friends are liberals. Um, but we do sometimes, I think, uh, more often than, than we should, come off as condescending. Come, we, we, we tend to be kind of preachy. Um, and, you know, it, take, for example, there's just a, a great piece in the New York Times the other day. Um, Ezra Klein was one of my favorite writers in the Times, did a, a an interview with, and I'm going to, blank on the name, but he did an interview with someone who was talking about socialism. And um, and they were basically making that point that, that this whole idea of socialism is popular among the voters I was just talking about, well-educated, relatively well-heeled folks who live in cities, whereas the folks who would benefit from socialism, blue-collar voters, rural voters, farmers, those folks, um, are turned off by it. Uh, we got to find out why that is and and i think part of it is the messaging part of it is this feeling like we're gonna come in and we're gonna tell you uh what's good for you as opposed to listening to you and trying to connect on the level of values that you know i I, for example hard work that's something democrats shouldn't be afraid to talk about 
you work hard, you play by the rules, you should be able to get ahead. And that ties in this idea of fairness. Didn't Hillary Clinton say that constantly? No, actually, Bill Clinton said that constantly. I think think Hillary's campaign was very much, um, in 2016, very much along the lines that I've criticized. It, It was really parsing the electorate, really trying to... Uh, appeal to people based on their identity or their station in life, in contrast to the Obama campaign, which had this very broad messaging that tried to key in on sort of classic fundamental American values. Right. Um, Now, why would, um, do you think that it's, plausible in any way that the Democratic Party would uh, begin to win, and I say begin to because it it hasn't for years, um, win a majority of white voters or particularly um, white men? Well, you don't need a majority. You need to do better. So... um I was able to drill down on these numbers for Mary Burke's campaign for governor in 2014. I wasn't able to find the the numbers for Evers, but I can tell you this. um, From the exit polling in the Mary Burke race in 2014 against Scott Walker, she lost white men by 24 points. Now, she made up for it partially in other groups. She won African-American women with 96% of that vote. But African-American women only make up 5 or 6% of the population. White guys make up 44% of the population in Wisconsin, or at least they did back in 2012, uh, 2014, rather. Um, and so my point is you can't lose a demographic that big by those margins and expect to win a lot of elections. By my calculations, had she lost white guys by 11 points rather than 24, she would have been Governor Mary Burke. So, no, I don't think you'd ever need to win white guys back again. You just can't afford to lose them by these kinds of margins. Yeah, um, it seems to be going in the in the wrong direction. Uh, I mean, I uh, based on you know from your your book, I looked up the. Um, uh, so the the vote pluralities in presidential presidential elections, and saw that Obama um, got in twenty oh eight got forty two percent of the white vote, um, slightly less than that for men. Um, right. So got forty two in twenty twelve, it fell to thirty nine percent, and by twenty sixteen Clinton got 37% of the white vote. Yeah. And I think, I think Bi- I'm not sure what Biden did. I think he may have done just a slight, better very recovery. slight recovery. Yeah. yeah. So, it was in the you but, know, 38 but, or 39, yeah. But that's not even the worst of it. I think, I think the most dangerous thing for Democrats is what's, is what's happening in the Hispanic vote. Uh, that is a big, important, growing demographic and one in which the Democrats were, they were counting on it um, to bring them to victory in the, in the future. And the percentages, you know, Democrats are still winning that vote, but the percentages are declining precipitously. And that, I think, is even a bigger worry for the Democrats than, than the declining vote share among white folks. And 
Um, I, I know you said that uh, talking about the Hispanics is is really a misnomer. There is no, just like there's right. no Asians. Um, Right, uh, right, right. So looking but, at... But, but I think Democrats did kind of treat the Hispanic vote that way right. for too long. Yeah, so and, how uh, how would you... You, yeah. you uh, make a strong point for um, the Democrat, that the way for Democrats to win is not by um, uh, supporting or promoting um, uh, social benefits with the so-called uh, social safety net and extending that... Uh, to pre-K and Medicare for all and so on, that that's not the way uh, to attract either working class votes. Um, would that, would you well, th- think that that is also um, uh, sort of a bad strategy in terms of uh, Hispanic voters or likely Hispanic voters? Well, yeah, so it, it's not so much that I wouldn't, support those policies, I wouldn't lead with that. I think, I think the mistake Democrats make is they think, all right, uh, it's, it's, they, they think of it in transactional terms. They, they think, all right, well, we're going to line up all of these policies which will clearly benefit blue-collar workers, women, uh, Hispanic voters, African-American voters. We're going to line these things up, and uh, voters are going to look at that, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for the Democrats because I'm going to get free health care, I'm going to get free child care, whatever. And I think, and, and yet, we're losing blue-collar voters. We're losing the very voters we think we're appealing to with these policies. And I think what we're missing is that we're not connecting on the level of values. I think you got to connect on the level of values first, and then the policy follows. And I, I think we've got that just reversed. Mm-hmm. And and the description or the articulation of the value is the hard work issue that well, we would support thing. that. I mean, I, I, I in terms of back. policies, how, how how do how do we implement a? What are the policies that are implied in um, sure. your? You know, hard work will pay off. Should have a. Well, reasonable yeah, standard higher minimum wage for one thing. I mean, one of the reasons I'm such a strong supporter of a higher minimum wage was as mayor, still am, is that if we're going to talk about hard work and, and, and you know, America being a place where you can get ahead if you work hard, well, well what's more important than how much you get paid? So uh, I think conservatives should be supporting a higher minimum wage. Um, that's one thing, $15 an hour for starters, but I think it's got to be higher than that. Certainly improvements to Obamacare. Uh, Obamacare probably lifted more people out of poverty than any recent policy. Uh, uh, The child tax credit, I thought, was a great uh, program, short-lived, part of the stimulus package. Mm -hmm. Um, Even some Republicans, you know, that was originally a Mitt Romney idea. So I think you can get some... uh, bipartisan support on that. I think there's a host of policies that you can line up behind the idea that hard work should pay off. And and they're all progressive democratic policies, and some of them, as I pointed out, are even bipartisan policies. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, do you think that this could um, overcome the... Um, uh, and, I, and I really think that a lot of the uh, the white 
movement towards uh, the Republican Party, particularly the white male movement towards it, um, is race-based. Uh, you think it sure, can? Yeah. You think it can overcome that? Well, it might not be able to overcome that. Look, if 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 your antipathy towards the Democrats is based on the fact that you're a racist, well, there's nothing we can do about that, and there's not much I want to do about that. But I do think that people are complicated, and I think that you know, think about all the Trump Obama voters, and there were a lot of them. You know, how, how is it that a person can vote for Barack Obama twice? And turn around and vote for Donald Trump twice. Um, I think it's because but, there's. But is, isn't that sort of a, a myth that, because I mean the, the the white vote for Obama was just slightly high. It was thirty nine percent, and then it fell to thirty seven percent when for Clinton. So there really wasn't that much movement. People, I think there was a lot of talk about that, but in terms of the data, it doesn't show that the—I mean, it showed just the same ongoing decline. I think it's it's at the margins, but enough to flip an election. So, you know, when you think about Donald Trump winning the state by about uh, 25,000 votes or so in 2016, then he turned around and loses it by 20,000. Mm -hmm. You know, you know you, you're know, you not necessarily talking about big numbers, but you're talking about numbers that can throw an election. So um, I do think that there's this underlying um, frustration, justifiable frustration, among, among blue-collar voters, and I, I define blue-collar voters as anybody who doesn't have a four-year college degree, black, white, um, yes. uh, brown. Um, there's this overall frustration that we live in a country uh, and uh, in an economy that is dramatically benefiting people with college degrees and better, and leaving people without college degrees behind, and that is very well documented. Mm -hmm. And somehow Democrats are not connecting to those blue-collar voters. And that's what I think we need to do. We need to find a way, not, not just an array of policies, because that doesn't seem to be connecting, even though those policies should benefit the mm -hmm. blue-collar folks. We need to find a way to talk to them. Uh, and I think that goes back to values. Right. Well, and also the, the the tone issues <laughs> that you talk about, yeah. you know, the yeah. humorlessness, the pontificating, the preachy, you know, yeah. tone of we know better. We're telling you how it is. Uh, let me just say uh, you're listening to a public affair on WORT. Um, my name is David Ahrens, and I'm hosting today's episode. Uh, we're talking with. Mayor Dave, Dave Chislevich, former mayor of Madison, about his new book, uh, Light Blue. Is this uh, is this in bookstores now, Dave? Um, it's available uh, online uh, through Amazon, so you can um, it's self published. So you can mm -hmm. you can buy it either as a physical book or a, uh, or a, uh, an online book, mm -hmm. digital book. But so you're not. Uh, peddling it in our two or three bookstores? No, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I plan to uh, publish future books and uh, and get them out to bookstores. Bookstores, understandably, um, don't like to carry product. Uh, I did it because Amazon's got an easy um, 
an easy format in which to learn how to do this. Oh, mm-hmm. And as my first book, I, uh, I decided to do it that way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but future efforts at this kind of thing, I'll, I'll do in, in formats that, uh, the bookstores will be more interested in carrying. I suppose that, um, you know, national chains uh, might accept it, but I'm thinking about, you know, my own favorite bookstore, uh, Mystery to Me, uh, right in my own neighborhood. Uh, Joanne Berg is very, very against Amazon, and I, so uh, she wouldn't care. Oh, I see. In the future, we'll, okay. we'll, uh, we'll look at other platforms. <laughs> I got it. So if you'd like to join the conversation, uh, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, you uh, have quite a bit of material in here that's uh, related to, I should really say, um, very critical of um, uh, the concept of wokeism or (laughs) uh, being uh, racially woke, um, critical race theory, and so on, and why that poses uh, a problem for a democratic majority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that stuff's just deadly for Democrats. Um, and, and again, I think it's it, these are the kinds of arguments. If you think about that whole language, you know, white privilege and the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all that stuff, um, it, it may have some credibility in 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 academia, but as political concepts, um, it's just just deadly. I mean, take white privilege for example. I. I'm not arguing that there isn't a privilege to being white, but think about it as a political concept. Um, if you're a blue-collar white voter someplace in rural Wisconsin and you hear white privilege, you're thinking to yourself, well, well wait a minute, I don't have a college degree. I've seen my income dramatically decrease in comparison to um, folks with, with college degrees. Uh, my community is emptying out. All the brightest kids in, in our local high school are leaving town. Um, my economic prospects are less than what my parents were. Um, and by the way, I, I, there aren't any black folks in my community, so I'm not sure who I'm privileged in relationship to. So as a concept, and I'm just picking the one term, white privilege is just politically disastrous. Uh, for Democrats to get behind. You can talk about these concepts in other ways. I, I prefer to talk about it as simple fairness. You know, if somebody works hard and they, and they play by the rules, why, why shouldn't they get ahead regardless of, of what race they are, regardless of their um, uh, gender? Um, that argument, I think, works. Look at how well it worked with regard to gay marriage. That, there was a time when even Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton opposed it because uh, politically, I, I have no doubt that personally they supported it, but, but politically they knew they, they couldn't be for gay marriage. So in 2008, they were both opposed to it. Uh, now, I, I think... Until Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden called, him, it, called him out on it. And I think in 2012. Yeah. Um, in any event, um, now uh, you cannot run as a Democrat and not support it, and Republicans just don't want to talk about it. Uh, and the reason is, I think the latest Marquette polls showed support for that. It's something I want to say around 70%. So um, 
So here we've had the sea change, and, and what made that work? Well, uh, it happened overnight over about 50 or 100 years yeah. <laughs> as, as people bravely came out as gay. And before you know it, uh, enough folks did that, that everybody looked around, and they knew someone who was gay, and they said, well, why are we discriminating against them? And, uh, and the answer was that eventually that barrier fell, um, but it didn't fall uh, because of legislation. It fell, believe it or not, hard to believe these days, because of the Supreme Court um, uh, opinion, and now we're worried about what may happen with Roe. But uh, my point is that a lot of these changes, I, I would say most of them, happen in the broader culture before they happen in politics. Mm-hmm. I think politics is a lagging right. indicator. Even it's a, a lagging like, indicator. Yeah, well, even, <clears throat> even a progressive like uh, Barack Obama had to catch up with it. He waited. He was a cautious politician. He waited for the rest of the culture and his own vice president to get ahead of him mm-hmm. before he took that position. Well, then, but, by the way, he didn't do anything, right? He didn't introduce any legislation. No. He just waited for the court to come through. So I think progressives are winning on these cultural issues, but they're winning in the media, they're winning in business, they're winning um, in entertainment, they're winning in almost every realm of American life. And I think the reason we're not doing so well in politics is because it is this lagging indicator. And so social conservatives overperform in politics because they're losing every place else. We have uh, Don on the line. Uh, Don, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, well, thank What's you for the program. Um, well, I'm a, a solidly blue-collar white male voter who votes Democratic, uh, holding my nose, partially because of the messaging that your guest talks about. Uh, I think white privilege is a toxic uh, subject with no basis in reality, but mainly because of the way the Democrats actually govern when they're in office. And an earlier caller just touched on, for instance, Jim Doyle's opposition to local control over minimum wage. And using Bill Clinton as an example is, uh, well, if a blue-collar person looked at Bill Clinton's record, he was toxic to us. NAFTA and most favored trade nation status for China uh, come to mind automatically. And, of course, his repeal of control of the financial markets uh, led directly to the the down the massive collapse in 2008, mm-hmm. um, which harmed a lot of blue collar people. So my problem with the Democrats isn't always their messaging, though I don't like a lot of it, but it's what they actually do when they govern. And so I haven't even begun of... to touch their support for the war machine. Mm-hmm. So I hold my nose and vote for them. I'm a hypocrite, but I have no illusions about what I'm voting for. So I just thought I'd throw that yeah, out there. appreciate it. That's important. Thanks for your so, call. Thank you much for the program. Okay. Bye. Great. Uh, we also have uh, Ron on the line. Uh, Ron, are you there? Yes. Thanks, cool. Mayor Dave. Mm. For years, I've preached that we must lower the summer maximum water level in the five Yahara Lakes in Central Dane County. After the floods about four years ago in the western part of Dane County that caused such horrendous damage because of 12 to 13 to 14 inch downpours, I now advocate lowering all five lakes by at least 18 inches so they have some room to catch the huge runoff that is going to keep coming and keep getting worse. Um, Related to that, we need a global immigration policy for all 200 plus countries 
Um, a much worse example of the flooding is around the Bay of Bengal, meaning Bangladesh and West Bengal State in India. That area is at a much greater risk than Louisiana and Florida. But, uh, back in so, so Ron, uh, Ron excuse me, Ron, can we? Is there a point related to this issue about the how the Democratic Party should be uh, self-organized, message policies, and so on? If the Democrats and all parties don't address the really big issues the disasters will keep getting bigger and more frequent. We have to deal with what we have done to planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you, uh, Ron. Um, Any comment, Dave? Sure. Well, I mean, Ron's overall point is well taken. I think, you know, I think it was getting back to climate change. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the reason we're having these more frequent floods uh, relates back to that. Um, Climate change is certainly forcing immigration issues around the globe. Um, So uh, he's obviously right about that. Uh, My point is we're not going to address climate change if uh, Mitch McConnell is uh, the majority leader. We're not going to address climate change if Kevin McCarthy uh, is the speaker. And so while the Democrats haven't been able to do enough with their slim majorities, um, the only way to address that issue is to build those majorities, which gets me back to to my fundamental point. Mm-hmm. And, and as for the previous caller, Bill Clinton, I agree. Um, you know, I, I'm not trying to defend every one of Bill Clinton's policies. I certainly had a lot to disagree with him. But I do think what he was very good at was encapsulating things in a very clear uh, political argument. So... Um, his turn of phrase was excellent, but some of his policies I also disagree with. Right. Um, so any other books uh, coming up for you? Well, you know, um, I've, I've worked on a few. Um, I've been, I've been uh, working on a biography of Governor Tony Earle, wow. uh, who I think was uh, way ahead of his time on just the issues we were talking about. Um, and so uh, I think it's important to tell that story. So that's a a long-term project. I think that will take me probably a couple of years. Um, I've got a, a series of essays on uh, deer hunting, which is one of my favorite activities uh, that I've been chopping around, and I've got a couple of other ideas. Mm-hmm. And how do you think um, Tony Tony Earle represents um, sort of the, the strategy in your book and also uh, sort of confounds it or... or uh, sort of went outside of it. Yeah, well, he was way out in front on this stuff. So he was governor in the mid-1980s for mm-hmm. one term. Um, and he was way out in front of the public on a lot of these things. He had uh, uh, desks in his office uh, for um, Native Americans, Americans right. Paul Domain, for, uh, 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 for gays and lesbians. And, you know, who occupied that office was Tammy Baldwin, who I think went on to do uh, good things. Um, so uh, he was the first to appoint a black cabinet member, Howard Fuller. Uh, he he did an enormous number of. Very and do you think that worked against things. him in his reelection? It did, you know. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have done him. Uh, I'm not saying it wasn't the right thing to do, but uh, but he ended up losing the next next election to uh, to Tommy Thompson, um, who you know in his own way uh, yeah. I think actually turned out to be a better governor than a lot of us 
thought he would be. Especially but, in retrospect. Um, in retrospect, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, we got to uh, call it a day here, Dave. I really appreciate um, spending some time with us and talking about your book. It's available on Amazon. It's very provocative, shall we say. It's uh, it's a lot of uh, many uh, uh, views of history and strategy going forward that we don't hear much about in these parts. Uh, I want to thank uh, our team members. Uh, who helped put the show on. I just walked in, uh, but other people actually worked on it. Rochelle, who's a producer, Sholly, who's the news director, and Chuck, who helped engineer the show. Up next is Madison Bookpeat with uh, Robert Russell. He'll be in conversation with Marilyn Taylor, former Madison Poet Laureate. Thanks very much for your time, and see you tomorrow at noon. Bye. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions. Live and direct, becoming never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, becoming never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and support it. Don't take no prisoners if you can't afford to feed none. Don't start no fights if you cannot predict the outcome. Don't make donations where you cannot get your dough back. The apathetic bullshit to send them all your Prozac. I will not climb into your telephone tree in hell no.